And welcome to the Made of Human podcast, the podcast I made because I wanted to find out how to do life. But then I realized very quickly that no one knows how to do life. And it then became a podcast where I speak to people to feel less alone with the fact that I don't know how to function and how to be an adult and, uh, and a real life human being. Thank you for listening. This episode is a, is a it's a, almost a special one, a special episode uh, because it's with Tom Ballard and I recorded him as the third ever episode back in August 2016 and uh, I mean I I should probably lie to make this sound cooler but what happened was I it was a new recorder and it rec- it saved the recording in a folder that I did I couldn't find and and then I just thought I'd lost the recording so it I just never put it out there and now I found it and I listened listened to it and I was like this is really really relevant everything we talk about is so relevant because we touch upon the subject of uh, the refugee crisis because Tom is very involved with that so it all fits together quite uh, almost uh, magically perfect because by the time you listen to this, this will be announced. When I'm recording this, it won't be. So I feel like I'm telling someone a secret. I'm organizing a benefit in London at the Union Chapel on February 27th for the organization that's called Help Refugees. It's a really nice, uh, amazing organization. And I've, I wanted to do it last year and I never got around to it, which I feel very guilty about. But then I, uh, I got Daniel Kitson on board. So it's... You know, by the time you listen to this, it might be sold out. I mean, well, let's hope so. So Kitson is comparing. I'm on the bill because why wouldn't I be, right? Why <laughs> wouldn't that be stupid of me not to book myself? And uh, then I have um, Stuart Lee is on, Bridget Christie, Nish Kuma, Tom Allen, and then Bisha, who you know from this podcast. And if you don't, you should listen to her before you go and see her at this gig because she's brilliant. And um, we have a few maybe surprises as well, but I don't set your hopes up. Um, so because I'm doing that, I, this episode is coming out rather brilliant, brilliantly, brilliantly, brilliantly. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure, I've, I've edited this intro a tiny bit because previously I said, I said that Kitson had helped me organize the benefit and then I tried to save it because it made no sense. He hadn't. He hasn't helped me organize it. I don't know why I said that. My good friend Deck Monroe helped me organize it. I didn't mention him. I was like, "Oh, my best friend," which is ridiculous. Uh, he didn't. What I meant was, he said yes to doing it. And <laughs> in my head, that's the same as helping me organize it because it does help having Kitson on board when you want to uh, sell out a nine hundred seater. So I have edited this intro. I don't usually edit them, but I fucked up. I haven't really spoken to people in a while at when I'm recording this, uh, so <laughs> that is what is happening. So I am uh, going to talk to Tom Ballard in this episode. Bear in mind, this was recorded in August 2016, and you can tell that, I mean, I don't know if you can tell that, but I could, because at one point uh, Tom asks me uh, if I know what a turf is, and I didn't. I now obviously do. Also, if you've seen any of my shows since then, 
there are things that I talked to Tom about, which I then went on to do jokes about on stage. So don't think that I'm sitting there telling him my jokes. At this at this point, these weren't jokes. It was just things that had happened or that I'd experienced. So I don't need to just say all of that. You don't. You, it doesn't matter. But this is Tom Ballard, and he is brilliant. I will let you listen to him in just one second. First of all, I'm filming my show Shimmer Shatter on the 13th of February. There is a 6 p.m. and an 8 p.m. show. And you can only get tickets for that, which are five pounds, if you email me at madeofhumanpodcast at gmail.com. That's just madeofhumanpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, and I'll send you the secret, secret link. Now, only come if you haven't seen Shimmer Shatter before. This recording is in London, central London. So uh, please come and see the recording of that. It'll be very lovely, very nice, very intimate. Just email me and I'll, uh, I'll make sure you, you get some tickets. Uh, it's not... It's close to selling out, but it's not so loud. So do go ahead and, and take a chance. There will be a waiting list as well in case people drop out because we will need the, the room to be full. Uh, if you don't make that, uh, in May, I'm going to do Shimmer Shatter at Soho Theatre uh, the first week in May, I think. So if you go to SohoTheatre.com, you can get tickets there. Now, from the 14th to the 1st of... the See, I'm not editing this out, which I probably should have. On the 14th of February to March 1st, I'm working on a new show, which means I'm going to be going on stage with nothing. Like, almost, well, almost nothing. Uh, it's going to be terrifying, but I also think it's going to be very fun. I'm going to do that in London almost every day in those two weeks. So if you go to sophiehagen.com forward slash newsletter, you can uh, can sign up to hear more about those gigs. I will um, announce them very soon and get you some ticket links. I think that's it. If you don't know Tom Ballard, he is just... I mean, I say this about all the people, but I do love the people I have on. Tom Ballard is an amazing Australian comedian and I want to say activist, but we do discuss whether or not he thinks that's fair uh, or not. So so uh, do I look forward to hearing him talk. Ah, one more thing. If you're in Denmark, which I can tell some of you are, I'm touring Shimoshata. Uh, in in the beginning of February, uh, I'm in Copenhagen, Aarhus, Odense, and uh, Aalborg, and there are ticket links on sophiehagen.com. And I would love to see you there because the listeners of this podcast are my favorite people in the entire world. So I'm going to let you listen to Tom now. You've deserved it, and uh, I will speak to you afterwards. Bye. Do you remember when we met? Oh God. Uh, was it you coming to my show? No. Was no, I don't think. I think because I think. Was it by the internet? Because I think I went to a show after the nomination. Oh. So we must have met on that day. We must have met that thing. Yes. We took those photos. I think I yeah. Did I see you at Best of the First? Ooh. I, think I saw you at Best of the First. Was that year. before that then? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I. Uh, you had a good set and I had a good set. <laughs> well, I probably didn't see it. Crazy. So I don't remember that. <laughs> but Yeah, I think that was it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess the photo day was the proper thing. I remember seeing you, I remember seeing your show, not to like, in a good way, because I wanted to see it. I wasn't oh, yeah. like scouting. <laughs> I wasn't going, who this, who's this, this cunt? Who's guy. this cunt coming over? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember thinking about your show. I remember thinking... If anyone came into this show, uh, like like being a horrible person, like a homophobe, <laughs> they would leave not being a homophobe anymore, <laughs> or asking for a refund. 
Well, that's very nice of you to say. Have you had that? Have you had anyone just go? Um, not not specifically from the show. I do think that I, I worked on a radio station in Australia called Triple J, and Triple J is a you know it's 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 part of the ABC, so it's a government station. No ads. Plays cool music. Um, is a generally progressive, you know, young people station. So, you know, and is interested in weird, fucked up stuff and sex and drugs and uh, music festivals and, you know, um, generally you would think would be a pretty progressive audience. But there's also sort of a lot of dudes on um, uh, construction sites listen in the mm. morning. And the, just from little bits and pieces of feedback over the course of working that job was just just getting feedback from dudes who probably had a pretty set idea of what a gay man was like and found themselves coming under my charms and being like, oh, I guess, you know, Tom's okay. He's gay. He's all right. You know, whatever. So just just little, tiny little moments like that add up and sort of you think, okay, yeah, if you, if you, you know, if you're in the media or in the public eye and you put yourself out there a bit differently, you know, just honest about who you are, um, then, uh, yeah, anyone who's worth your time uh, is, isn't going to get hung up on your sexuality so much. I have a friend who uh, I've known her for ages, and she's she's not a she's not a homophobe, but <laughs> but Some she, of my best friends are homophobes. But like every time I every time I spoke about uh, being with girls, uh, you know, mm. wa- you know, wanting to be with girls, being in love with girls, anything like that, she'd just like cringe and be like, "Ew, that's disgusting. Ew, vaginas are disgusting," and she would be like, Ew, "I just I just want a man. Like I just I can't live without men." And blah 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 blah. Uh, anyway, she's gay now. Oh, what? Isn't that amazing? That's she crazy. met this girl, and she was like, "Oh, no, I'm with her, and they're oh, together." I'm with her. Is Isn't it Hillary that- Clinton? <laughs> uh- <laughs> Isn't that? Doesn't that give you so, hope? Well, it does give me hope. But so she wasn't like, a, "Oh, I was hiding it that whole time." Oh no, no. I, was, I, I was- mean, no. But she has no self insight. Now she's like. <laughs> I've, I've always been bisexual. She didn't oh, know. Really? Like, oh, fuck oh, off. She, she, she said to me, like, the day after she told me this, she was like, oh, this guy at work was just being such a homophobe. And, I was yeah. like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and she said, oh, but then I taught him about queer theory. I'm like, how did you know that word? Oh. It's not a word you knew before. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's weird because now I think, you know, I'm in my sort of getting late 20s and, you know, my life, I'm surrounded by gays, very happy, great friends, great family. And and everyone I come into contact to on almost a regular basis is you know very cool with the whole shebang, and it's it's hard for me to remember what, what it was like for me when I was like fifteen, sixteen, and how mm. big and how big of a deal that is, and homophobia and, and all that kind of stuff. And it just makes me sad because I think about all like the homophobes at high school, and you know people who were homophobic at high school are now still my friends and are lovely people because they've gotten through that bullshit but all mm. the homophobia of transphobia they, they contributed to in high school I just think it's just like so and, and the amount of time that I think probably dudes spend worrying about thinking people thinking they're gay or mm. you know even if they're straight you know that, that just that constant boogeyman of being gay as being such a big fear when you're a, a teenager at least when I was um, it's just such a waste of time because if you just restrict yourself to that once you leave high school, you're going to have a very boring life. You know, there are very cool gay people out there <laughs> who are doing cool stuff. Freddie Mercury, for fuck's sake. Like, so, um, and, and you. And me. And you. And, and you. And you. On time. <laughs> so, but you so. must see it. I'm, I'm just thinking, you're someone, you do so much work. Like, you do so much work for uh, your current, uh, you, did you, you won an award, like a pretty, Big deal award, didn't you, for like saving the world or something? 
I should be doing my research better, but that's not all I all. know. Oh, oh come it was on. an award called the Helpman Award, but it's not like Helping Man. It's named <laughs> after a guy called Robert Helpman, who was a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you... <laughs> yes, that was an, uh, 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 an award for, for, um, my sh- for my show in Australia. World Which Kids was happening. about no, the refugee the crisis. No. No, this was, that was The World Keeps Happening, which was my stand-up show. Oh, am I talking about another award that the you The other won? show, Boundless Places to Share, which was about Australia's treatment of refugees, was nominated for the Barry Award at Melbourne Comedy Festival. Right. Yes. So you haven't received, like, a Nobel Prize. Some jack shit for that show. Well, um, thank, thank you for being on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've, all, I've clearly invited the wrong person. Greatest prize of all. <laughs> I mean, that was a show that I really enjoyed doing, and I w- want to tour again next year, I think, because I, I only did 11 shows in Melbourne. Um, and I, I worked, a, I read books for it, Sophie. Books! <gasps> so I'm like, you know, I want to update it because there's some stuff happening in Australia at the moment. A lot of information coming out about just, mm. again, how, how horrible Australia is, is and, and the kind of conditions that we put refugees in. So, um, yeah, I just want to tour that show a lot more. And, uh, and, and uh, yes, that, that's a nice thing. But yeah, I'm just thinking. So you 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 did the show I saw last year about homophobia, mm-hmm. and you did uh, you've done this show about the, the refugee crisis. Is that even okay to call? You shouldn't call it that, should you? No, it's isn't crisis. that the wrong one? I think isn't well, something cri- like it's not. Well, I think crisis is a good. Well, I don't know how much it affects people's feelings about the thing, but it should feel like a crisis because yes. Oh, it's. I think yeah. it was more about. Oh, well, what it was. You kind of. It's, is it something like it puts it into people's minds that it's dangerous that instead is, of focusing on the pressing. help bit? That, that there is, it's time critical. Well, I mean, in Australia, there are people languishing in detention yeah. now, and every day that they're in there yeah. is is a, is a serious threat to their mental health. Yeah, uh, you know, their, their physical health as well. You know, people yeah. are getting abused and sexually abused. And every day that goes by is another day that Australia is breaching people's human rights. Oh, it's definitely a crisis. Yes. Uh, we know that mm. but i'm thinking of people you know who are not as you know amazing cool. people as we are yeah. <laughs> when they hear crisis and, and this is not my opinion i just feel like i've read this somewhere someone made a point of it but it was something like if you use the word crisis they're going to go oh shit shut the borders right okay sorry so yeah i mean i when i say crisis i'm framing it in terms of it's a crisis yeah it's, oh, it's treating def- refugees oh, yeah exactly but yeah. there's a global refugee population of 60 million people that is a crisis the syrian refugee crisis is the term often often mm. called which which does um bring up the specter of millions and there are millions and millions of displaced people mm. and there are probably millions of people who would like to come into first world countries mm. um but you know we 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 have a lot of we have militaries and we have a lot of processes that can deal with the volume of people coming into our country seeking asylum um we can't help everyone which is this constant thing that's brought up, but but in Australia at least we're turning that into sort of we can't help anyone. Mm. Very, very well, same in same in Denmark and right, I yeah. imagine in the UK as well. It's I think it's it's a Western world thing, isn't it? At the moment mm. that all the right wing is just gaining so much power, right? And it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, and and even that the rise of right wing extremists is sort of used as an argument in Australia, being like if we don't manage our borders, if the if the general population don't feel like we're in control of that then you'll get the rise of people like Pauline Hanson who um is a is a right-wing racist uh, in Australia who's just been elected to the Senate you know what I mean like if people get right. too terrified if the major parties yeah who are supposed to be the political center don't seem like they're in control of this stuff then the crazy right-wing people who, who literally say ban all Muslims 
um, we'll we'll start getting a whole bunch. That of doesn't classes. sound logic, does it? Does it? Does that make sense? If you don't have, <laughs> let anyone in, then they're gonna. One of my friends puts it. One of my friends puts it like. Um, Oh, you have to let us do the Nazi stuff. Otherwise, the real Nazis will get in and start doing Nazi <laughs> yeah, stuff. Exactly. Like, well, if the Nazi stuff's happening, then much for muchness, really, isn't it? If you, you're the normal people, I suppose, just doing the horrible things that the crazy right-wing people want to do more of. Still not a great deal. So, um, so, you, so I think what I'm getting at is that you, you're doing so much. Like you're, you'd call yourself an activist a bit? Oh, you do Hesitantly, like, hesitantly. Yeah. Because I know activists, like you know. Oh yeah, you know, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, oh yeah, and, and I think I think this is often a problem with um, uh, maybe people who do comedy or do art that's a bit more political. Um, often those people know people who really live this shit day in day out yeah. and are actually d dedicate their entire time. Yeah, people who physically chain themselves to yeah, trees and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so you feel a bit awkward yeah. because you know we do sell tickets and <laughs> we do a show for an hour, maybe an hour ten, and yeah. we go have some beers and stuff. <laughs> so. Um, You know, I'm certainly getting more activist in my comedy and in my work. Yeah. Um, and and wherever I can, I just go to a few rallies and, and try and help out where I can. But um. But there is you know. a there is a I get what you I get what you're saying, and because I know those people as well. And mm. I mean, they're they're incredible. Like yeah. you just go like, yeah. <laughs> wow. But like Mark Thomas is an activist. Josie Long right. is an activist. Yeah. Rod Quantock in Australia is an activist. I, and I admire those people very much. And if I could try to emulate their example, I would. I just—it's just awkward at this point to sort of feel like feel like I'm, I could count myself as someone who is a performer, but also, you know. But, but with your performance, you, you must be changing people's minds all the time. And isn't that—that's an activist, you know, thing. Sure. And even though you, it not, it might not be like physically or, uh, mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get what you mean. I think. I think activist is a very um, kind of a provocative word a bit. Yeah. And I think it provokes the people that we kind of want to scare. Yeah. So I quite like using it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, guess I wouldn't call myself in front of an actual like hardcore, yeah. you know, in the front line kind of activist. But in terms of to people who, who were fighting. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I want to be active to try to help things. It's an interesting question. When, when does the line of like artist blend into activist. I mean, if you are constantly talking about things that you think should change and, you know, through your work talking about gender or, or what have you, you know, you're provoking thought and, yeah, changing people's minds, it's definitely, yeah, definitely a form of activism. Because you're, you're about the uh, refugee show you did, mm -hmm. say your name again. It's called Boundless Planes to Share, which is a line from the national anthem. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Nice. Nice touch. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, was that, was that a It wasn't a full-blown stand-up comedy show, was it? It's, it's a talk, isn't it? It was built. Oh, was a that just something lecture. you said? That's something you said to me <laughs> to be like, keep your expectations down. <laughs> I like to think it was funny. Um, it was built as a comedy lecture, so I had like a PowerPoint presentation. Ah, nice. And the and I the real thrust was I genuinely wanted to, for my own sake, first of all, research and get my head around how how we got to where we are in Australia. Uh, with detention centres and this obsession with stopping the boats. That's kind of the phrase that we constantly use in Australia. You've got to stop the boats at all costs. Um, so, you know, telling that history story of how we got to there, um, making people laugh along the way, run through the arguments that are out there, tell the stories of real refugees, and um, and then towards the end, you know, the past, the last sort of five minutes didn't have many laughs at all, and, and people, sometimes people were crying, which is kind of what I wanted. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, and also I sort of played a slight version of myself. I was like this cocky guy who'd like figured it out. It's this, it's this kind of considered to be this intractable problem in Australia that just has no good solution. So I was like, don't worry guys, I've figured it out. And then it takes me a long time throughout the show to actually reveal that I don't have a solution at all. Because our obsession with solutions is sort of kind of hard, how um, we got in this sticky situation in the first place. Do you feel like when, when it comes to changing people's minds that you... Because like, you, you don't mind people crying. Do you feel like you would do whatever it took <laughs> to just... I don't, well, I don't mind people, uh, you know... You seem very empathetic. Oh, thanks. Thank you. But, like, that's, that. well, that's not a compliment. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do I don't you... mind people... I mean, some comedians would maybe um, not feel great about people crying at a comedy show. Some... There's some criticism of some comedians that they're um, overly sentimental or their shows perhaps get a bit over, overwrought. <laughs> Which is, yeah, exactly, whatever. I've certainly seen some shows that I'm like, eh, you're trying to make me feel something here and I'm not feeling it. That's, that's, just, a comedian. that's, just, that's just how the show not working. I don't but. want to name it, but there was a comedian who, uh, right before the set, but not only would the lights change, but he would uh, take a glass of water and he would dip his finger into the water and then like put water under no. his eyes and pretend to cry. To genuinely, genuinely move people, or is it genuinely to be like, oh god, now I'm crying again, the 26th yeah. time during the sprint, <laughs> breaking <laughs> down again. Every time. <laughs> oh, the light change. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's right. But if there's any topic for me, anyway, you know, and sometimes I, I will, I would genuinely tear up as I was telling, because mm. you know, part of the show was telling stories of of people I'd met in detention, like people who I'm visiting who are still in there, mm. um, who've been there for five years in, in Australian immigration detention for no good reason. So. If there was any a topic, ever a topic that licensed you for a little bit of um, sentimentality and melancholy, it's, it's this one. And really, it was more getting the laughs that was the tricky... You know, it being sad mm. is kind of a given, because if mm. you just explain what's happening, people will get yeah. sad. So you had to try and constantly shake people out of that and, and do, like, look at this funny picture from history. This is... <laughs> we can laugh at this for a second. And that's how you get people in, because if it had just been a lecture... I think so. I mean, that was, that was the, that was the um, gist of it. It was like... In Australia, people have heard this for so long, since about 15 years ago, an incident um, called the Tampa Crisis happened, which is where a boatload of refugees, a, a, um, a uh, Norwegian tanker, picked up a bunch of shipwrecked refugees and headed towards Australia, and the government said, you are not coming in here. We, 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 they literally sent the SAS, like, military, out to stop them landing on Australian soil. Awful, and the demonization of those people on that on that boat was horrific. So that was kind of the the point, and then the government went on to, to win an election. And many would argue that this incident was sort of the, the turning point. But uh, you know, for the past fifteen years, we've constantly heard about these stories. It's all just been such a shit show that I think people are desensitized to it. So for me, I was like, what's the most what's the most what's the most different way we could talk about this topic? And that's that was through comedy. So that was kind of the, the gist of it. Yeah. So. I'm asking because I used to work for the Danish Refugee Council oh. in fundraising, and I had no, like, I I really didn't care about making people cry, because <laughs> I would do fundraising, and I would have all these little, like, tricks to make people donate money. Right. I had my, and now I'm a bit nervous about saying it, because you're such an empathetic person, and now I'm going to sound like a psychopath. <laughs> But so I would, it would like be over the phone, you know, call people and try and give, have them donate money. Mm. And they would always, you know, just say no, because that's like a regular, oh, no, no, thank you. And then I would push them a bit and just a tiny bit too far until they got like annoyed and they go, no, I said no. And I go, 
Okay. No, I'm so sorry. I'm so. Oh, I'm so. I pushed you too hard. I'm so. This is so rude of me. I'm so. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's just because I'm. I'm just sitting in this office and the refugee council and it's all these photos everywhere of these like children dying and they're and I just sit here and I just you know you just feel so helpless and I, then I accidentally push people too far and I'm so sorry I'm so sorry this oh is awful God. and they'd be like okay I'll go get my credit card <laughs> that works oh yeah every time oh, yeah I did wow. this, uh, fundraising in the street where the, I like mothers with kids and I'd go to the kids and go do you think mommy should help the children oh god and the mommies would always go uh, well I'm going to take it out of your uh, savings account and the child would go yeah of course that's fine the, the kids need help and the mom would be like well then you're not getting Christmas presents and the t- kids would be like that's fine these kids need help and it'd be, it would be such a oh my lord right you see the logic and that's what I mean it's like, but I in my head I was like these no one would give money if they genuinely couldn't afford it. Mm. Like, genuinely couldn't right, afford right, it. Right, 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 of course. So they could afford it. And mm. it wasn't too much of a lie. Like, there were images around. Yeah. But, you, you know, it was also a bit of a, you know, sure. <laughs> a bit of an act. But I, I, there's, a, there's a feeling of, when you've seen, like, if you've been in the detention and seen mm. and met these people, I can imagine you must get the sense of, like... Not a, not everyone does that. Like regular people in their little houses with their little lives, and who, who've never seen that. Mm. Like you, you must. I I felt like I was one of the only people, a, a, a few, quite a few people, but that could pass on the same feeling to someone else to mm. make them realize how serious this is and how much they have to do something. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do you yeah, have yeah, bit- absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, the show people had paid money. They'd come, they'd gathered together to, to <laughs> talk about this. <laughs> they'd come to hear me preach, my wonderful <laughs> sermon. Uh, I, uh, in many ways, I'm a prophet. But, you know, like that, that buy-in was really nice. And there were definitely some people who came who were not, um, did not agree politically really? with, with me. I think some people were generally like, you know, I'll did they check agree this afterwards out. then? Do you not be uh, changed? I don't know. There was a bit where I gave out questions. I wrote like five questions on cards and gave them to people throughout the audience, and they were just written questions that they asked that then allowed me to continue with the show. So it was a it was a fake audience mm. involvement. And at one point in one of the shows, a woman just I said, "Any questions?" Meaning, okay, let's move to the next questions mm. on a card that someone has written down. And surely everyone understands here that <laughs> people are reading out cards that I've given them. And then a woman just sort of asking me a genuine question, going, well, Tom, you know, we only have limited resources. And I was like, Ooh. oh, I don't actually want your question. So I reached out what happened to that lady. A guy came to the show and then did no research whatsoever, so I didn't know what the show was about, and then proceeded to write me a long email about not enjoying being lectured. <laughs> no, he did no research. Um, I did not enjoy laughing whilst being lectured. Well, <laughs> it's just like, it was, you'll hate this comedy lecture then. Um... So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure they're in the majority, minority. I'm sure the, the vast majority of people who came were sympathetic to the cause. The thing that would get me choked up is when I would talk about who we are as a country. I'm, mm. I'm actually, you know, I, I often think, despite what um, people on the right may say, left-wing people, I think, are actually far more patriotic, very patriotic people because mm. we sort of despair at all the things that, like we love the country so much, we see how good it is, and often the country's been very, very good to us. Um, so we kind of just get very sad that the country isn't doing better to other people, you know. And, and when I look at what's happening to refugees, I'm like, this is not the Australia that I thought I lived in. Mm. 
maybe the whole Australia I thought I lived in was a lie the whole time, but you can at least envisage the, the, the great things that we do as a country, you know, that are rooted in compassion and solidarity with other people. You know, that could be um, a push towards people, other people. And why are we so scared of these other vulnerable people where we, you know, our fi- people volunteer to fight fires to save people's houses and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, that's the stuff that gets me when I think like we are better than this that was a, a line that came through on the show we are better than this and um, I don't I just think it's very sad that we don't we are, don't get to realise that um, when we when we um, are trying to process refugees so do you have hope? well weirdly yes in in that um, you saw, I saw glimpses of the best parts of this country in, in the refugee crisis in people's response to it Mm. the people who volunteer every single day who go visiting detention centers um a guy a surf lifesaver from st kilda who volunteered to go to greece to help save rescue like rescuing refugees who were drowning in the mediterranean and a guy set up a thing called bicycles for asylum seekers where people donated their old bikes he fixed them and just gave them to people seeking asylum living in the community and my parents who housed a shrunken family for a week and you know when they're in the on the coast for just a holiday you know um amnesty groups throughout the country and uh people who uh like the asylum seeker resource center in melbourne which is this like food bank that people can come and, and check out and yeah, so you see the very, very worst in like government and the worst parts of human nature in the actual policies, but people trying to help is extremely um, inspiring and yeah, fills me with a lot of hope. I have a friend who, uh, she's the sole cause of refugees in Denmark, quite possibly, and I'm not sure where the law is at the moment, but she's very actively changing the law that says that refugees can't work. Right. So she manages to get them out of the refugee camps, yeah. uh, and you know, just do you know they you know they won't get to be like the lawyers that they were sure. at home, but they get to do something. Do so something, they're not yeah. sitting in these like basically cells. Yeah. Which is another one of those examples of you know feeling like you're just a comedian when you have a friend on right, the right, on the yes. phone going, oh, I did this. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. You know, she arranged uh, for them to celebrate Eid uh, after the Ramadan and. Right. You know, I mean, she's she's like an angel, but that's something like when you know when you see that, yeah. you go, oh, okay, it's okay, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it'll yeah. it'll be hopefully it'll be fine. Hopefully, hopefully that will shine through. Yeah, but you and so it's you, not just like rabble rousing hippies with dreadlocks on the street. You know, it's mm. like it's like high ranking human rights lawyers, mm. people who could be probably making millions of dollars working for investment banks or you know doing corporate law. You know, do fine financially, I'm sure, but you know, basically you know spend uh, become workaholics mm. just giving free legal advice to refugees and, and people seeking asylum all the time and um and i just look at you know very 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 intelligent people in australia are um advocating for refugees and know that this is wrong and the government just can't keep acting like this is the best way of going about this problem because it's just it just clearly isn't anyone and i reckon they know it too i reckon the immigration mm. minister and the prime minister of australia know that this is fucked up but politically it's what's help them and it's just too hard to change so um so they don't well so you've gone from because this is the your last show was that the last time you did it was in edinburgh last year mm-hmm. so you must have started doing it was it in february in australia that year yep yep and that's a quite a personal show that was about you and, and coming out and and homophobia mm-hmm. 
and then you went straight and now you've you seem to be like i was trying to listen to some podcasts where you were a guest uh, to find out you know more about you for the for the interview but there's it's not like the past year has been a lot of that uh, and your activism yes <laughs> <laughs> oh what about you because you're 26 yeah holy <laughs> are you because i almost turning 27 <laughs> the thing I, I love doing that as a kid. I'm like, I'm always nine. Yep. <laughs> Twenty six and a half. <laughs> My friend in uh, kindergarten, she turned. Um, I think her birthday must be July, uh, so she turned what six or something like right. four months before me, and I ruined her birthday by crying because I was like, oh, she's older <laughs> than me now, and I would cry and cry, so ruining her whole yeah, you, just so. just banging all her balloons. Just fuck you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just looking at these photos of children and I, I just couldn't do it. They're all older than me. <laughs> you weirdo. Um, I've, if I were, but you're, you're such a humble person, so I don't know if you if you feel like this, but you must be able to see like your career. And like, if you look at it mathematically and objectively, your career, your potential, the awards, the nominations, the impact... Like, where do you think you will be in like ten years? Oh God! Can you do? Are you, do you not feel <laughs> immense angst about how like your potential could like explode you as a person? Oh. Um, angst? No, no. I feel I feel excited. And this 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 past year has been creatively very rewarding, and I feel like I've sort of. And, you know, last year's show was very personal, but it also sort of marked the end of me finding anything left in my life immediately <laughs> that I could sort of talk about in my comedy. Like, I, I did my coming out show, I did a breakup show, did a family holiday show. A family holiday show? A family holiday show, you can do that. Uh, which was sort of edging into the political anyway. It was, it was about, we drove halfway around Australia as a, when I was a kid and sort of along the way, like, what is Australia? <laughs> wasn't very good. It but, sounds uh, good. It sounds really good. It had a slideshow with, like, funny photos from that. Um, so, uh, yes, anyway, I feel like I've landed on kind of what I want to talk about, which is, yeah, which is politics and, and, and social justice and stuff. And that, that's that's the stuff that kind of fuels me that I find sort of endlessly interesting. And um, I tried to do a political show about 2012, and it was just too, just too preachy. So I feel like I've kind of landed a little bit in the middle where it's like, you know... I think I think I'm still good at keeping it funny, but I can kind of slip in the stuff that I want to say and can explore the kind of stuff I want to say. If you're Wait, you think you're done? Like you as a person? I, you no, just no, have nothing. No, no, You've done my, family, my <laughs> family love coming out. <laughs> done. You're 26. Well, still, I'm just like I said. Yeah, you know, if things happen to me and I think they're funny, they'll still totally become my stand-up. But I just, you know, some people start comedy when they're 30, and then they have like all these shows in them about their entire life leading up to the point where they started comedy. I started comedy when I was 14, which is stupid. Yeah, that's and, ridiculous. And, yeah. What was, your, was it, what was your first show? Oh, fuck. About, what were your topics? Masturbation? Yeah, uh, dicks are in there, toilets are yeah. in there. Oh, yeah. The joke. Had you, when, no. when you were 14, had you, had you had sex? Had you kissed people when nope. you were 14? No. When did you start doing that? I didn't kiss anyone. I didn't. I didn't come out till I was eighteen. I didn't get with any girls leading up to that time. 
except in musicals, which doesn't count. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I didn't. My first kiss was when I was 18. Well, how was your first kiss? How was it? Yeah, when, how, what, when, who? Uh, details, was, details. <laughs> All the details. Put that erection away, please, Sophie. <laughs> And I'll put away mine. Um, it was with this guy, Jack, who was the other gay in my hometown. <laughs> Um, and it, we'd had the, we were hanging out a lot more. We were in an anti-homophobia group together, you know how it is. Was it just the two of you? <laughs> no, there were other people. It was like a thing the council ran, and oh, yeah, nice. just, just a bunch of young. Well, they were all actually pretty confident. I was a bit like, I'm not gay necessarily. I just think homophobia is a real issue. Slash, want to meet other gays. Um, <laughs> And we, we, we'd just been hanging out a lot and we would watch a movie, I think, at my place and then it was a sort of awkward tension and then I drove him home and we were sitting in the car and then, then we made out. Aww. This is like three in the morning. Uh, it was weird. It was real weird. But it was wonderful and sort of magical and, you know, all the things that a first kiss should be. And Jack is a lovely person, but we just... I think we, I think we dated for about four or five months and then we thought, we're just both gay, aren't we? <laughs> we're just <laughs> both gay. Pretty much all he was into like, fashion, and um, he was a bit insane too, in a sort of you know fun way. But yeah, you mentioned fashion first. <laughs> fashion and it just wasn't my type. He was into fashion, also no, psychopath, <laughs> but definitely into fashion. <laughs> he was just we were just different people, you know. But it was fun. That's nice. Yep. 18? 18, Yeah, I was eighteen. He was seventeen. He was a year younger than me. Yeah. I, the first guy I kissed, I locked him in a cupboard afterwards. Okay. Because I uh, panicked because I was 16 and my, it was, I, I'd never kissed anyone before. It was the second time I was drunk ever. Mm. And this guy I'd never spoken to before from my school was like, let's go get the beers. They're in the closet. And I was like, okay. And we went into the closet. He started kissing me. It was disgusting. Oh. And then we kind of like laid on the floor in this tiny closet And then the door knocked, and it was uh, Martinez, who was this guy I was in love with in my class. And I was like, oh, shit. And he was like, who's in there? And I like opened the door very little, and I was like, uh, it's just me in the darkness alone. And he was like, is Martin in there? And I was like, no, he's not. He was like, then come out and have drinks. I was like, okay. So I went out and just locked the closet because I didn't want Martin to come oh, out. God. <laughs> and then I forgot about him. And the next day at the noon... Uh, I sent my friend to unlock the closet. Oh my god! How long was he in there? Nine hours. Fuck! You can't do that. I Did he bang it or anything? I don't know. I forgot about him. Oh. It's really it's a very shameful moment, and I'm not laughing at this at all. <laughs> <laughs> was he gay when he came out? <laughs> and did you get with Martina? Martinez. We we uh, I not not then. Okay. Not when I really wanted to. No. I, I was very in love with him. <laughs> when I was, you know, teenage love, it doesn't count. But then I had a boyfriend for three years, and in all of those years, every time I saw Martinez, he'd be, you know, it's still teenage years, he would be like, oh, I could make out with you whenever I want to because you're in love with me. And I was like, no, you couldn't, not, not anymore. Uh. And then the moment I broke up with my boyfriend, and he said that again, I was like, okay, then do it. And he was like, oh, um, um, sure, but not right now. And I was like, oh, oh. this is happening right now. And, oh. then we, and then we totally made out. And uh, and he said, you know, I'm going to tell people, right? 
And I was like, <laughs> you don't know me at all. <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone first. This guy sounds like a dick. Oh, he was. But that was like, he was like a, the closest thing to a bad boy. Oh, boy. It's like, oh, my God. He doesn't know his dad. Oh. <laughs> Oh god, he's so mysterious. Oh god, it's that could be like, what did I say? Fuck. <laughs> he would like draw penises on my notebooks. I'd be like, oh my god, I think he likes me. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I really like your story about how it's so magical and amazing. What's that? Oh, the first kiss. Oh, the first kiss. I mean, you know, it's it's a range of emotions. It's like feels like a bit naughty. Because uh, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't come out of that point either. So I was like, yeah, but I was like, I was definitely like, yeah, I like dudes. So um, when you've when you've talked so much about homophobia and you've mm. you say now that you, you you're surrounded by people who who are cruel about everything and uh, when you meet it because you must still meet it sometimes homophobia do you does it like does it almost it just like because I'm, I'm you know I'm all my friends are now feminists and mm. body positive and even when I just meet a woman who's on a diet I'm like whoa oh yeah right that exists out there. I re- um, yeah, it's interesting. I reckon. I mean, see, it's the 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 grossest thing, or the, one of the more gross elements of like sexism. I think, and the shit that you have to put up with, and we we all have to put up with, mm. as we all identify as feminists, <laughs> is that you know the, the boundaries of sexism are kind of debatable, or people won't really accept. You know, I had a, I so I have a bit of feminism in, in this show, and I asked for male, any male feminists in the room, and one guy said no. I said why? I said because I'm a man, <laughs> and he said men and women are, are equal. It's a work in progress, but we're doing much better than Muslim um, mm. countries. Anyway, I just think, you know, people will tell you exactly that. Men and women are equal. Uh, uh, whereas homophobia, I just think, is a bit more black and white in people's minds or, or you know, it's at least commonly accepted now that, you know, hating gay people is a bad thing and mm. lots of bad things have happened to gay people. Um, although now trans people are the new gay people, so... And in Australia, we have this program called Safe Schools, which was this incredible anti-bullying program that was based around issues around gender fluidity and sexuality. And schools had asked for it. They'd like, we've, we've got a lot of homophobic and transphobic bullying. Can you give, can someone come up with a program to make this better? They did. It was in a whole bunch of schools. It was working fantastically in Victoria, my home state. Then it was rolled out nationally. Then the Australian, which is this awful paper, um, it's a Murdoch paper, it's the National Paper of Record, quote-unquote, suddenly discovered this program that had been in the public domain for years and started on this huge campaign board against it. And then these insane right-wingers um, in the Liberal Party, you know, Christian, like literally, you know, gay marriage will lead to bestiality level, um, started putting pressure on the on the, on the the Prime Minister and the Cabinet to, um, to, to turn over the, the um, program. And so they've introduced things now where kids need permission to get access to the literature. So you're a queer kid in the closet and you want to find out more about being gay and you write about how your parents will react to you coming out. So you go to them, hey, mum and dad, can, can I get the access to the gay book, please? Just fucking mind-blowing. And the demonisation of trans people and the idea that, you know, you know, trans women going to um, girls' bathrooms are doing it to, to abuse um, young kids and stuff like that. Anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. But yes, but that, you know, transphobia is, is like so much more socially acceptable or is like, like, I don't mind the gays, but I don't know, this kind of mm. whole gender it's fluid a new thing. thing. It's a new it? thing, right? It's And it's all the slurs that were brought out against gay people um, back in the day are just being applied straight to um, to trans people now. Have you had the, I forget what it's called, but the, the um, it's the theory about 
the first I think it's called the first woman mm. so there'll be there'll be like the first woman doing something that only men have done and then that you know sh- she'll do well-ish mm. at that and that actually uh, makes sexism a bit worse because then makes it harder, right? because then people will go oh we've already no no we're not sexist we've had one yes so we don't really need to hire more of them a mate well this guy i said you know this guy in my audience i said uh you know do you really think men and women are equal in society he's like we've got a female prime minister exactly like, oh, yeah. yeah that's fucking two that's <clears throat> extraordinary now have you heard malcolm gladwell's podcast on this no get into it yeah uh, I forget what it's called now. The, the podcast is called Revisionist History. The oh, first, no, that was what I was... Yeah, yeah, the that's first the one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I only yeah, had that one. Marble, yeah. yeah. Uh, dear listeners, check it out. I mean, that whole podcast is amazing, but yes. And yeah. he talked a lot about Julia Gillard, the first female yeah, yeah, prime exactly, minister in exactly. Australia. And I'm yeah. thinking if it might... If it, if it could be the same with... You know, if people feel... If people have overcome their homophobia, that sounds like it's cancer. Like, right, oh, yes. I've survived. Yeah. Uh, but if, they, if they've dealt... If, if they've, you know, they've brought themselves to accept... That gay is a thing, yeah. and that it's okay, and they're probably really proud of themselves for <laughs> yeah. having transformed. And you know, now they're teaching other people about queer theory, and they're these yeah. very progressive people. <laughs> but then maybe if someone goes, because then what I imagine we will do is go, oh, oh yay, th- th- let's then. Oh, there's also transphobia yes, and these yeah. other things, and then maybe that. Like, Come on, you're taking the piss. Yeah, really? yeah maybe they're like, oh, but we've, no, no, I'm okay with stuff because I, I've, I yes, like gay people. Yes. I'm fine with that. Right. You know what I mean? Could that be the same thing in terms of you know larger? Well, issues? I mean, you get, I mean, you get transphobia within the gay community as well, with the, you know queer people who will say some pretty messed up stuff about. Um, about uh, transgender people, about bisexual people, you know, this is kind of yeah. bi- biphobia or bi-erasia, which, yes, which you may well assume know a lot about, so... bi bi erasia so erasing people, so it's like... Oh, bi okay. Erasia, sorry, yeah, yeah so it's okay. like the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, like, well, what about people who don't identify as gay and lesbian? Um, right. You know, every gay man thinks that any dude who says he's bi is really just, you know in the transition period to being full gay and don't actually... Yeah. Gay men can't compute that men who are attracted to other men might also be attracted to women. Right. You know, that kind of messy. messy. I, remember, I remember the moment I... The first moment I should have known that I was bisexual was when my a friend of mine came out as bisexual. We must have been 15. And she was, it was a huge deal for her. Like She mm. was really like struggling and we'd met up and she was like, I need to tell you something. And she told me, and I was just like, what? yeah, we're all, that's how we all feel, right? Oh, really? That's, wow. Yeah, man, I'm, yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. I, I hadn't even, I, I hadn't ever imagined that people would only be attracted to one gender. Yeah. It, was, it blew my mind. And I, I, I mean, I was a teen, I was an idiot, but I think I was like, uh, duh. <laughs> Big deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> Until I kind of realised, oh, yeah. oh, that's not how everyone feels. But it's amazing, you know. And you, you know, you hear from kids, kids who have queer parents, or just kids who are, you know, have progressive parents. You know, when you, when they see like two men together, they're like, why, why are they? Because you know, probably mm. social society is giving them messages from every other direction, yeah. saying men and women go together. Yeah. Let's see two boys together. What's going on there? It's like, oh, they're two men and they're in love. Mm. Okay, cool, okay, cool. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 and they get on with their day, you know. Yeah. Um, have you talked about TERFs on your podcast? Trans exclusionary radical feminists. Say what? what? <laughs> TERFs. TERFs is like an acronym that's put out there quite a oh. bit, which is like the feminist. You know, trans people tend to use yeah. it as a criticism against feminists who right. oppose 
trans people or don't oh, think that trans is that women the word can be real women. Yeah, that's just I've, yeah, I've to my surprise encountered them like mm. I've, I've and it's it's shocking mm. and there's a lot of great feminists uh, as in big as in respected who suddenly come out with these opinions and you go oh no mm. but then there are some trans women who very clearly identify as trans women so they're like i'm not a i'm not a woman so to speak i'm okay. specifically a trans woman and my experience right. of being born into uh, I think into yeah. a male body is problematic, but okay, you know, being, yeah. being you know being transgender that's yeah. a big part of who I am. So I'm not if for some trans women, for example, they don't want to be perceived as as women. Women, right? They want to be they're, they're trans women. That's a fundamental right. part of who they are, as opposed to just being like I'm a woman now. Right? It's like I was born into this body, you know, but I identify with this through clothing or through the way that I ask you to refer to me or whatever like that. So. I find all that really interesting. That's really interesting because mm. uh, there's a lot of that that's just listening, mm. you know? Yes. There's a lot of that just going, yeah, okay, yeah. tell me more. I mean, not even tell me more because it's not up to them to, to no, no. having to necessarily describe it. But I I have a friend who's in a, a gender-neutral band. Right. And it's one of, you feel like such a twat when you when you have to remind yourself to not just automatically say he or she, because right. it's so ingrained. It's yeah. twenty seven years of my life where I haven't known about this. Yeah, and it's so it's so. We had them on a, on the Girls of Feminist podcast, and but the sound fucked up unfortunately. But I, I want to have them on on this yeah. one as well, and. It's such a wonderful thing. If you can get your head around it, if yeah. that could be a neutralized thing, yeah. that that's what you did. You didn't assume anything about anyone's yeah. ident- sexual identity or gender identity. Oh, imagine. Mm. And then I think of my grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, oh, my, like he, I mean, someone like, you know, what, he 80 something. I had a friend who was, we were driving from one place in Denmark to the other place. And so we like passed through their village. We went by for some dinner. And my friend had tattoos, so they thought all kinds of stuff. Oh, dear. <laughs> and it was just such a, like, we don't understand how you can be uh, in a relationship with this guy when he's gay. And I was like, I, what? Well, he has tattoos, and you sat <laughs> next to each other. So that's the, there, was a, there, was a, there was this weird uh, like story in Denmark about a very famous Danish comedian having j- made a joke in his set about having anal sex with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But the girlfriend is uh, publicly known as being a very another famous Danish actor's daughter. So there was like a headline saying, right. comedian has anal sex with this guy's daughter. Oh. As like a news thing, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And my grandfather, who is a, a horrible person, but he, he had like a full-blown meltdown because he couldn't. He was like, I, and he was, this, he, he was almost crying. He was so disappointed. He was like, I just didn't know that about him. I was like, what? He has anal sex? He was like, I just thought. I thought he liked women. I was like, what? I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, he had, he had that kind of sex. With, and I was, like, I was like, no, that's that's a straight, that's also a straight yeah. thing. That's just a sex thing. That anal sex is, you can do, it's, that's, it's not a, and he had what no idea. What an amazing conversation with your grandfather. <laughs> he had no idea. Have you talked about this on stage? No. It's fucking off the chain. I mean, it's hilarious. I kind of wish... I have some friends who have, like, grandparents who they have fights with all the time and talk about popular culture. Yeah. And my... I don't know. My two grandmas are just so... My family's just so waspy and repressed and, like, we don't talk about anything controversial at all. And and I still haven't sort of brought a boyfriend... I haven't sort of had a boyfriend at the appropriate times to bring someone home at, like, Christmas or whatever like that. Do they know? 
They know, yeah. But you haven't... We've never had a direct conversation about it. And it's like, you know, my other... They'll talk all day about my, who my cousins are seeing and who's right. getting married and having you know, babies and just no questions for old Tombo. Right. Which is... <laughs> what a my, thing. My friend ran for the Greens Party in the last election in Australia and this, and this, in a very... In a blue ribbon seat. So where the, where the Conservative Party had held power since wow. for, for the past 50 or 60 years. And he was running for the Greens and he almost, he almost won. It was actually extraordinary. Next election, it will probably flip. Uh, it's like very like wealthy... But, you know, the demographics are changing a lot, so it's a lot of young people coming to the era. So he had a 93-year-old guy who'd voted for the Liberal Party, the Liberal in in Australia, the Conservative Party is called the Liberal Party. Oh, Very same. Oh. In Denmark. No, oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, his entire life. And he voted green that election. He turned green. Wow. I forget what the issues were that, that made him do that, but just amazing. That's hope. That's hope, isn't it? That, that's hope, yes. What do you think we will be like as old people? And if we have grandchildren, what will what will be the things that they're doing that we're like, you can't You do mean that? once we've fixed everything? Yes, obviously. <laughs> With our I activist mean, we'll stand-up be, we'll shows. we all be dead <laughs> due to climate change and, uh, you know, there being no fresh water left. But um, No no borders, maybe? That seems far away, doesn't it? No borders? Yeah. Imagine there's no countries. It's easy, <laughs> it's easy to try. <laughs> Because um, that seems like far away, but it does seem like something that if everything goes our way, we disappear borders. Goddamn. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, that's very. It's very hard to imagine. It's a lovely thought experiment, and and when mm. you start thinking about that, you know, while I don't think borders will disappear anytime soon, you can start questioning the things that come with borders and all the rules yeah. that are in there and how intense we are about protecting them. And maybe the maybe well, this is like way further ahead in the future, I imagine, but. How do you say this without being an asshole? <laughs> um, if oh, <laughs> I don't, okay. Jews are. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is going to happen right <laughs> now? <laughs> That's how Hitler started. What uh, if we? What is going to sound horrible? Kill. Wait, wait, uh, wait. All. I mean, uh, guys. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> no, I'm saying if if everyone. If everyone fucks everyone and there are no colors left, you yeah, know what I mean? Okay, right, right, yep. What if there were no. Yep, yep. Oh, that's yep. horrible as well, because that shouldn't be the reason for no. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? No, no, no. Totally. Imagine so that. Just, Imagine yes. if there was no. If people couldn't pinpoint that. Mm. If people couldn't pinpoint. Like, say we all accepted that everyone was bisexual. Mm. Everyone, like, no one had a, a, a race or mm. a. a, a, a you know, no one had like an. No one was either man or woman. No one was right. either white or black. No one was either sure. uh, uh, gay or straight. Mm. If everyone accepted, you know, if everyone ended in the same, if we all became the same people and we had to base, mm. uh, you know, on who we were. Yeah. Is this problematic? No, 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 no. Absolutely, it, it probably is very problematic. No, no, no. I think. Well, I mean, it can be argued now that, you know, the notion of race is ridiculous anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is a fabrication and, and just a myth that yeah. we don't actually need race to. felt like a yes. very bad but, but then it's very important to make to not um, pretend that race isn't a huge factor in society in 2016. <laughs> yes. So, yes. And, this, and you'll get this a lot, particularly in Australia, people say they're not racist. Like, uh. we're all Australians, mate. We're all just fucking Australians. Uh. Stop making it about race. I'm like, uh. okay, I will when the criminal justice system stops making it about yeah. race. And, you know... People of color are disadvantaged at every single opportunity, but um, you know, like in movies about the future and like sci-fi movies, there's always mm. like the president of Earth. 
So mm. I always feel like that's something. And if we do discover intelligent life out there, we surely in the world, in the universe, <laughs> don't you think? Or, 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 or in the world, am I right? Yeah. These bloody pigs and clowns up in uh, Parliament House. Um, I have often thought that if yeah, if we discovered aliens or whatever, it would make all our borders pretty ridiculous, wouldn't it? Like, wouldn't we start to look at like. Like, are you really still Danish and I'm Australian when we know that there's people from fucking Zeron 5? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The only thing that sets us apart are the ridiculous accents. The stupid <laughs> accents. I'm sure they'll have accents as well, the aliens. They'll but you... will be like, bloop, 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 bloop. And then they'll be like, click, click, click. I don't know. That's really culturally insensitive. <laughs> to towards aliens. Do you, but do you think there's a... Because you're very, you're very, very not religious right right but what if that was a thing what's that like if it was true yeah what if what if that was what if what would you do as someone who's very are you anti-religious or would you call yourself just atheist i'm an atheist uh i mean i'm an agnostic in the most strictest of terms you know yeah. people get because people like how but can is you be agnostic sure? Yes. You can't, you can't, I mean, you can't. So you're really not sure. sure. But I can't prove that Santa Claus or the fairy or <laughs> Sound very atheist. Yes. But, you know, I think religion does some very bad things, and I think criticizing religion is very, very important. But I must say, uh, over the past little while, not, not, not an opening of my mind to, you know, supernatural things, mm. but the influence that some people's faith have in, have in their lives is extraordinary. And, you know, particularly in the, in the refugee space in Australia, you know, some churches are doing extremely good stuff. And good luck to you. Like, you believe whatever you want to believe, that's fine. But, you know, if you are the Catholic Church, I have some issues. But, yes, no, some people who, like, you know, if you don't have, if you don't believe in Jesus or, you know, religious texts or whatever, we do all have a moral code, or we would like, at least like to think we do, and being disciplined enough to stitch that moral code is is kind of, I think, what the religion is about. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So my Jesus is, you know, these these certain principles, which is, you know, be nice to each other and try and help people and do less harm and use your advantages to help other people. That sounds really circular, doesn't it? Because that sounds like Jesus would be like, exactly. Exactly, yes. That's what I put yes. in. Well, it's God. I put but, as right. God that into you. And I'm then sure, you could be I'm like, sure if Jesus exists, he's I mean, God would be pissed off. He'd be like, "Yes, that's exactly what I <laughs> I put this in your brain." <laughs> that's like you going, "Look, mom, I've I've learned how to use a spoon." She's like, "Fuck's sake, I did that." You when grew you were your head in my womb. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Are you religious? Oh no, I, I was oh, just, no. I was just, uh, I was oh, just, right. I just thought there. it was quite, quite funny because I've yeah. heard you be really, uh, like, uh, almost Will Andersony. <laughs> anti-religion but you t- then you started talking about aliens and I was just like oh, it's, a, it's a fun thing of that you know is it out I know it's not exactly the same thing because there's arguments that aliens you know made us or, no. no 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 oh that would be cool no yeah have you not seen that documentary Men in Black yes yes that's a good one yeah, it, it blew my mind you remember the, the end of it when they zoom out yeah. from the planet and they become smaller and smaller and then you have the galaxy yeah. and then the galaxy is within like a, sm- a bigger thing and then what is it uh, in a marble or something? yeah, yeah and then there's yeah. just like aliens playing like right. I remember that blew my mind, blew my mind. when I was a That's child I was like oh my god it's bigger than all of us <laughs> oh my god I must the absence and maybe this is my lack of understanding of just how huge the universe is but our lack of contact with aliens is pretty good evidence well not good evidence but it's like an annoying part of 
arguing that God isn't real, like, because we are the only planet where, you know, intelligent life that we know of, and we, we, you know, we, we search pretty far out there, we haven't heard anything from anyone else at all. Yeah. So, I just think it's... And then there just must be. The universe is so fucking huge. There totally must be. We just don't have the technology to reach the other people yet. Yeah, if um, it's people. Do you think what if, if there was if there was a planet in another whatever galaxy? Yeah. Whatever. Technical. And they were exactly the same as us. Mm. But you weren't gay. What would you be doing? Would you all, would you still be a comedian? <laughs> would you still be you? Um it's very. It's hard to say. It's very hard to say. I don't know. I don't know how much my, you know, being gay is sort of an intrinsic. It's not all of who I am, but it's an intrinsic part of who I am. And I wanted to be an actor, and my need, I don't know, psychologically, does my need to have other people validate me and come from my insecurities about my sexuality, which then leads to me wanting to become a performer, which made me keep pursuing comedy. I honestly, I don't know. Is what, that the only difference you... on this planet? Tom Ballard isn't gay. <laughs> It, it's all of you. It's who you are. No. <laughs> what, 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 what do you think? Because obviously it's not just one thing. But like, because you, you, you're humble and you're empathetic. So why are you on stage? Do you know why? Because that's my, my idea of comedians is that we're all a bit kind of broken and just oh, a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just needing something that isn't normal to need. Sure. But what? And I put that together of every single thing in my life that's given me some kind of um, uh, uh, resistance. Mm. And every struggle, every obstacle has pushed me into this field. And I imagine being the, the someone who experiences homophobia and stuff is one of the, uh, quite a big obstacle in someone's life. Have you had other obstacles that have made you desire the validation from strangers? Well... See, I definitely see. I started, I did musical theatre when I was eight years old. My That's an mom, obstacle. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. Now. <laughs> my mum encouraged me to audition for the show. I got it. I was in it and like loved, like loved it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actor, and I love being on stage and getting performance. So, you know, that's miles away from sort of before I knew what gay was or or realizing I was being gay. There's definitely something about the fact that so many gay men are in musical theatre. I don't know what that yeah. means, but there's, there's got to be something about that. But um. Um, I didn't, you know, like my parents are very sort of academic people. They expect, not expected a lot, but, you know, encouraged us and was always reading and um, I was instilled in me to do well at school and get sort of rewards through good good reports and good marks and stuff. What if you failed? What happened? Well, I mean, I just sort of quit anything that I wasn't sort of going to fail, going to do well in. So I just didn't did as little Why? sport as possible. Why? Science Why? and maths. Why? So I when just, it went, when no, I, I think there's a part of me that says I'm not good at that. It's I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not going to. I'm not going to try and do that thing. But why? Do you um, know what I'm? Do you know what I'm getting? Like because it's this like yeah. I guess it's a drive. It's like my uh, kind of not a perfectionism, but like I want to do well at the thing that I'm doing. But you must have had that like teeny tiny Tom Ballard mm. who did like a drawing and you gave it to and it was a horrible drawing mm. you really sucked at this you hadn't drawn a giraffe it looked like a monkey mm. and then you gave it to your parents what was their response to you having terribly failed <laughs> they wouldn't have ripped up the drawing or said this is shit and thrown it back in my face 
would, they, would they say, oh, just give up, just paint the monkey because you're obviously better at painting the monkey? No, I think it's just it's just the things that I did. If I did something and I did okay at it and then got positive reinforcement for that, I would just keep doing that thing. And, you know, kids' musical theatre, I can only imagine, is pretty rubbish, but at the end, everyone has to clap at the end of every song. And I played Blitzen. It was a show called Rock and Roll Santa, and I played the role of Blitzen, who couldn't remember his own name. So whenever anyone said Blitzen, I'd say, who's that? And people would laugh. And that made me feel good. There was one moment where a scene where there was a little baby pram on stage, and I was hidden in the pram. And some other characters were doing a scene, and then someone mentioned Blitz, and I popped out of the pram in a little baby costume saying, Blitz, and who's that? And oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. Blew the fucking <laughs> roof off. And I still remember that. I still, that is, just, that is part of me, of who I am. I was like, I remember that moment being like, whoa, this is, this is big. So I just sort of kept wanting to do that. I remember doing a. I really wanted the big part in the school play, mm. but I was like, you know, didn't have the confidence to demand it. So I would just take like the the tiny part of the the housekeeper who had like one like one tiny monologue. Right. But then I and then Emma got the main part. She got everything. Oh, she was so pretty and clever, <laughs> and I hated Emma. Emma. Now she works at, like an embassy and is so cool. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> cool. But she she you know, she did well. Whatevs. And then I nailed the monologue. Like I. Like, I remember the standing applause. I don't think it was there. But I feel like I remember (laughs) all the parents going, oh, my God, what a talent. But I never went from that to thinking that I should do comedy. That was never the next step. No, not for me. I mean, I just did acting, 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 and musical theatre. Musicals were, like, the closest thing. I wasn't, like, a great singer or dancer, but it's just there weren't many plays being put on. So it was, like, uh, theatre, 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 theatre. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to audition for NIDA and VCA, which is the big acting schools. And then when I was 14, there was just the Class Clowns, which is a stand-up comedy competition that they ran in schools. And I was like, well, that's being on stage. And I watched stand-up on TV every now and again, and I quite liked it, and so I thought I'd just have a crack at that. Okay, so if you last question, if you uh, you met you as a baby, like you'd just come out, mm-hmm. little little Tom Ballard, yep. little screaming cute, see little Tom fat, yep. little fat Tom Ballard, was your yeah, little fat little baby? Big baby? My mum constantly talks about how big my head was as a baby. Yeah, <laughs> so little huge headed ba- baby Tom Ballard. <laughs> okay, yep, I get it. My mum, <laughs> just little. My mum's in the stirrup still there. Like, yeah, okay. it's still there. You're we'll still attached. attached. Yeah. You're still attached. Jesus. And this little baby. Uh, is really afraid because that's what happens when you get born really mm-hmm. terrifying because you're used to this tiny little nice little womb thing and now everything's horrible and light and loud and it's awful and that little baby knows that this is the world like the world is going to completely just fuck you over there's going to be so much darkness there's going to be so much so many obstacles and and you know what everything until this age that you are now you know everything this baby is going to have to go through mm. If you could tell that baby, <laughs> I was like, "Do you kill the baby?" <laughs> how, how, Not do worth you, it, kid. how do you kill the baby? <laughs> Wrap the umbilical cord around the throat. <laughs> Head Push pops it back up. in. Push yeah. it back in. <laughs> well, what tools have you had to develop in order to uh, deal with life? And the bad stuff that you would tell the baby to develop ASAP. ASAP. I was just a mixture of ASAP and ASAP. ASAP. ASAP Rocky. I mean, I have had a very happy life, and it continues. 
Sorry, that sounds like I was on my deathbed, but... <laughs> I'm so lucky in so many different ways, and I'm generally quite happy. Um, but it's still perspective. I, th- I still think perspective is, like, the biggest thing you can, you can gain. And, and, and generally, I had a very happy childhood and a wonderful time, but I could probably have afforded to be happier because the more you learn about the world, the more you realise how insanely lucky someone like me is being a white male... Uh, middle class, born in Australia, not really wanting for a lot of things. Um, I mean, I could just sort of sit on my ass and do nothing for the rest of my life. It'd be probably fine. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I don't want to do that. But I just think that um, um, the thing that cures my... If I'm ever in a funk or feeling sad or feeling shitty, pretty, pretty consistently perspective... Is, is pretty much the thing that takes you out of it. Just go look at all the things that you have and how lucky you are and, um, you know, life is kind of kind of what you make it and, you, and it's not a competition with other people and all that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know it's easier said than done. And I'll get annoyed and depressed and jealous of other people all the time. But I just think if as soon as you understand, as you get older as a, as a small kid and you sort of just try and get an understanding of how good things are or how shit things could be um that i think that's very helpful Mm. that's good where can people find you they can find me on tomballard.com.au or on twitter at tom c ballard um you have uh, your own podcast as well podcast called like i'm a six-year-old which is pretty australian-y politics focused but every now and again we get some other other cool folks on to talk about uh, politics it's like an interview thing and um Yes, some really cool people have t- told me about what they about activism. Yeah, you know, real activists. Right? Real so activists. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, if you can check that out if they like. That's cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sophie. Yeah. Bye. Thank you to Tom Ballard, and thank you to you for listening. Uh, if you want to share it with your friends, uh, that would be great. Now, you you may. In the beginning of the podcast, we talked a lot about the the refugee crisis, and what I will say is, even even now listening back to it, I uh, I got that feeling of not doing enough, which I assume we all felt. Um, just uh, you know, the, there's a voice in my head just screaming, "Where can I give money?" And so I thought I would just let you know, if you're in Denmark, you should give money to Dansk Flyktningehjelp, the Danish Refugee Council. Uh, and if you're in the UK, Help Refugees is a really good cause. Um, UNHRC are really brilliant as well. There's, I mean, you know what? Google it. Google how can I help the refugees and then just give a bunch of your money because it's, I think that should be, I think that should be, you know what? I think that should be the the the, the you donating money thing that I should promote. I'm not going to mention uh, anything about how to support this podcast because Tom is right. We, we need we need to do something. So you know what? If you had uh, if you've ever had any in- inclination, if that's a word, to give money to this podcast, just don't do it right now. Just give to uh, help refugees or the Danish Refugee Council or whichever your local uh, refugee support. Uh, networkers if that's even a word so apart from that go find us on facebook at the made of human podcast 
uh, Twitter at Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H. Please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. That is really lovely if you would do that. And then I just want to say thank you for listening and thank you to Bailey Leonard for my jingle and to Ross Bell for my logo and to the Phoenix Artists Club for letting me record episodes there and for just being one of the best introverted uh, places that uh, I I can visit in London without being terrified. So uh, thank you for all of that and I'll see you next week. Bye.